we are going to jump into uh, our study today, Genesis chapter 25. We've been working our way through the, the book of Genesis on Sunday morning, and we've gone through the life of Abraham. And then last week, we looked at Isaac, who is Abraham's son. Today, we're going to look at Jacob and Esau, who are, are going to be uh, Isaac's sons. Abraham's, Isaac was Abraham's son. They're all related. Anyways, so, so Jacob and Esau are Isaac's son. Now, as we get into this today, I, I need to say that depending on your denominational background, your church background, there are certain aspects that have been highlighted for you, and then other aspects of this today have been de-emphasized. And so we're going to try to bring a, a little bit of each perspective in just to give a more, a round, a more rounded um, perspective as we go. But um, I want to begin today by asking a question. Does anybody here come from a dysfunctional family? Anybody? Anybody? A okay. couple of us? Yes? Yeah. If you don't come from a dysfunctional family, how do you make it in today's world? So, it's, so we all do. We all do. So this is for you. This is going to be, hopefully you'll, you'll uh, appreciate this today. Now, also, there is a theme that's being developed through Genesis, and it goes through the whole Bible. And so I want to highlight some of that today because in my church background, this was de-emphasized, but it's very, very important. So um, as you hear me say so many times, the big question is, what do you leave in and what do you leave out? There's so much more. I want to give you enough so that when you go home, you think through and you see more things than, than we could bring out today. So there's going to be a big chunk as we, as we go. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 25 in verse 19, verse 19 as uh, we begin uh, the story of Jacob and Esau. But it says now, these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, to be the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And so we just want to highlight that he's 40 years old, Isaac, when he gets married. Verse 21, it says, and Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived, but the children struggled. Now, my Bible says struggled, and we'll talk about that in just a second, together within her, and she said, if it is so, why then, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So what you find is that these kids inside of her are going to be at war even in the womb. Now, my Bible says they struggle together. The Hebrew word means to crack into pieces, to, to bruise, and to crush. And, and so they're, they're going to be going at it even before they're, they're born. If nothing else, uh, just so you will know that there are other people's kids who started fighting even before your kids did. So that was funnier in my office. They, they didn't laugh in the first service, but I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm still going to say it in the third service. I, I, I have hope for that. Well, so, so verse 23, it says, so the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And the older, you want to underline, shall serve the younger. So each, each boy is going to represent a nation. And uh, they're not going to get along, and we'll talk about that as we go. The youngest will receive the birthright. The older will serve the younger. 
And so the, old, the youngest one is going to be, which is odd in the in, in ancient world, is going to receive the birthright. Now, typically that went to the older. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 24. Now, when the days were... When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came forth red, and I've underlined red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So Isaac is 60. They've been married 20 years. They have their first kids or their, their kids and their, their twins. And so the first one, he's hairy, so they name him Esau. Now there on your outline, Easton's Bible Dictionary, the word Esau is just the Hebrew word for hairy. So they just named that. He's hairy, so that's what they name him. So um, Jacob is the next one, and his Hebrew name is Yaakob, Yaakob. And it means heel catcher or supplanter. Now, supplanter is not a word that we typically use. So I I put that there on your outline from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. To supplant means to supersede, especially by treachery. And we're going to see that that he's going to do that. He's going to take the first place, and it's going to be by deceit or treachery. So Jacob's name is going to be prophetic about his future. Esau is just who he is. He's hairy. So that, that, that might be significant as we go. So a few decades pass. And it's important to know that sometimes between a verse, there'll be decades. So probably 30 years later, verse 27, it says, when the boys grew up, and you want to underline that, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now, and this is what we want to highlight here. And now Isaac loved Esau. He loved Esau. So there's going to be some favoritism in the family. So Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so you want to highlight that as we go through this today. So you have the parents playing favorites, and uh, this is going to be part of the dysfunction in this family. Verse 29. When Jacob had cooked a stew, now remember, he's probably 30 years old at this point. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff, red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. So as the story goes, Esau is going to be known for hunting and for the game that he brings in. But on this particular hunting trip, he, he doesn't catch anything. So by the time he comes home, he's famished. Jacob just happens to be cooking a stew. Now, some of your Bibles in a few verses will say that this is a lentil stew. And so the idea that the Bible is going to be conveying is this is not an exciting stew. This is just, you know, it's just kind of there. Nobody's excited about this. But Esau will forever be known for what takes place here. So Esau says, let me have some of that red stuff. It's, it's not even, you know, good stuff. It's just the, the, the red stuff. So there in your outline, his name was called Edom. Edom is just the Hebrew word for red. He'll now be known for this because he wanted the red stuff. So they just call him red. He will become the father of the Edomites. Now the Edomites will be perpetually hostile to the people of Israel. There'll be a constant war between the two. So it starts in the womb and it's just going to continue on. So verse 31, 
Jacob says, first sell me your birthright. Now, the birthright would, would mean, uh, typically, it would mean the extra portion and the inheritance. So the way that they would do this is if you have two sons, when it came time to distribute the inheritance, they would take the inheritance, if you had two sons, they'd divide it by three. And so the one who had the birthright, he would get two portions, and the other son would get one portion. So it would mean that. But it would also mean that when the father passed away, the one who had the birthright would be the one who assumes leadership in the family. He becomes the head of the family. And then he would also step in as the head of the family. And this is before you have Moses and, and all of that. So uh, he would become the priest or the spiritual leader of the family. Well, what we're going to find is that Esau doesn't really care about things like that. So verse 32, it says, Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. So what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold, he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And that's where that comes from. And he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. It just wasn't important to him. There in your outline, I put this from the New Living Translation. It says, Esau ate and drank and went about his business indifferent to the fact that he had given up his birthright. So he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. And, and the reason this is so important is the Bible wants to convey how little he thought about this. It, all of that was not even worth a, a bowl of soup, and it wasn't even a good bowl of soup. So Esau knows that he sold his birthright the rest of the family will know that he sold his birthright. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. And uh, so uh, ultimately, uh, God had said that the older will serve the younger, but this isn't the way that you go about it. This isn't the way that you go about it. So keep that in mind. Well, once again, time passes. And as time passes, I want you to go to chapter 26. Go to verse 34. Verse 34 and uh, of chapter 26. And uh, you'll notice it says, now, when Esau was 40 years old, this is probably another 10 years later. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Besamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So not only does he not care about the birthright, but he goes out and he marries a couple of what we would call pagan girls. Now, they worship different gods. They have different culture. They have different morals, moral standard, and they become a grief to uh, his parents. But he doesn't really care. So that's more just about who he is. Well, time passes. And then you come to chapter 27. Now, chapter 27, I want you to write down that Jacob and Esau are about 75 years old when chapter, when chapter 27 begins. If you want to track that down, today when you go home, just get on your computer and just type in how old was Jacob in Genesis 27 or how old was Jacob when he got the, the birthright. And you'll come up with these graphs and they'll, they'll point to that. So he's about 75 years old. Now, that's important because if you're like me, I grew up in church. And when I was a kid in church, we had flannel graphs. Now, how many of you remember the flannel graphs? Okay. How many of you do not remember, remember flannel graphs? Did you even have a church experience? I, it's like <laughs> flannel graphs are awesome. But here, here's the thing. Good, good for you. Because here, here's the great thing and the bad thing about flannel graphs. 
in, when you put flannel graphs, and you know, we'd be watching this, and they talk about Jesus and the disciples, um, you'll remember that in the flannel graphs, the disciples were old guys with beards. Remember that? Well, the, the truth is, when you go through the Gospels, historically, uh, the disciples were more teenagers than, than old guys with beards. But that was imprinted, that they were old guys with beards. But then when you came to the story of Jacob and Esau, they're 75, but the flannel graphs always portrayed them as teenagers. So uh, flannel graphs are great, but they sometimes imprint things in our brain that are not, are not accurate. So I just put that out there. So they're about 75 years old. Well, we're going to read the first four verses and, uh, of, of chapter 27. We'll come back. Now, you want to underline a couple of things as we go. Now, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, now you want to underline, my son. Hopefully your Bible says my son. And he said to him, here I am. And Isaac said, and you have to read it like this. Behold, now... I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me as such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat so that I may bless you before I die. Isaac is a little bit of a hypochondriac here. You want to write down, Isaac's going to live for another 45 years. <laughs> so, so, that, we'll see that in chapter 35. Now, Isaac knows that God said that the older will serve the younger. That the, and so the, the younger is going to get the birthright. But what he wants to do is to give Esau his son, his favorite son, uh, the, the blessing, the blessing, maybe to override the, the, the birthright. We, we don't know. Maybe he thinks that God made a mistake, but he, he knows what God has said. So go ahead and write this down, that Isaac knows God's will, but he seeks to alter God's will. He, he doesn't like that. He wants Esau to get it. Now, in the Bible, the, the blessing was more than a nice gesture. It was something that was prophetic. You spoke it, and, and it typically, you, you believed that it was going to go out and begin to produce the future, and we'll talk about that. But typically, when you gave the blessing, this would be something that you would do publicly, like, like in, a, in a party. So like the Jewish people today, they have a bar mitzvah, and they bring everybody in, and it's something that they do very publicly. But Isaac does this secretly. He has to do it secretly because if he tells anybody, somebody might remind him, well, you know, uh, God said that the older is going to serve the younger so that this blessing is actually supposed to go to Jacob. He doesn't want anybody to know that. And so it's going to be so secret that he doesn't even tell his wife. So again, she might remind him. So verse five, it says, Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to, and you want to underline his son, Esau. And hopefully your Bible is bringing that out. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to, my Bible says, her son, Jacob. And so you get the favoritism going on there. Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. So she's eavesdropping. Then she goes to Jacob and she says, we got a problem here. 
your dad is about to give the blessing to the wrong boy. So we've got to do something to make sure that that doesn't happen. Now, Isaac knows that Jacob is to get the birthright, but he wants to make sure that at least Isaac gets the blessing, again, maybe to override that birthright. Well, verse 8, it says, now, mama's speaking. Now, therefore, my son, I've underlined that, however your Bible says it, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring, bring me two choice young goats. Now, underline goats. We'll talk about that. Uh, from there, that I might prepare them as a savory dish for, for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. And uh, you notice that, that uh, she says, bring in a, a goat. Now, I want you to pay attention to goats. That's going to be very important for our study. In our study today, everyone is a believer. But this is somewhat of a dysfunctional family, as we'll see. So we're going to notice some things. First of all, Rebecca, and you want to write this down, she knows God's will but wants to, and wants to do God's will, but thinks that God needs some help. She thinks that God needs some help. And, uh, you know, God can't pull this off on his own. Maybe she forgot what God had said to her mother-in-law, Sarah, back in chapter 18, where God said, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Well, she thinks this is too tough for God. He's not going to be able to pull this off. So I need to get in there and arrange some things. Well, Rebecca, and you want to write this down, she believes in God, but where she struggles is actually believing God. So she doesn't really believe God. She's never come to the place where she can trust God over her circumstances. So if it doesn't look like it's going to work out, she's going to step in. So again, she doesn't believe that God can handle this situation. So she's going to step in and she's going to help things out. Now she's going to violate God's principles about how you bring about God's will. So you want to write this down. The lesson here will be God's work must always be done in God's way. And this is not how God would do it. So she's going to step in and violate that. There's going to be a cost to this. And the cost will be, and you want to write this down, Rebecca will never see her son again. When you get to the end of the chapter, that'll be the last time that she ever sees her son, Jacob. Now, this will not be God's punishment. It's just going to be she's doing some things. So at the end of the chapter, it's going to require Jacob running for his life. So, so uh, it's not God's punishment. It's just how things would work out. Verse 11, Jacob answered his mother, Rebecca, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight. I've I will be as a deceiver in his sight. And then I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. So he rightfully says, Esau is hairy. I'm, I'm kind of smooth. Interesting here, Jacob is not concerned that he is a deceiver. He's concerned that he will be perceived as a deceiver. So for him, image is everything in this, in this dysfunctional family. I don't want anybody to think that that's who I really am. So you want to write this down. Jacob is more concerned about his reputation than his character. You know, I don't want them to think that about me, even though it's true. So mama says, don't argue with me, verse 13. But his mother said to him, your curse be upon me, my son. And once again, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food, just uh, food such as his father loved. And what we notice here is that 
at this point in his life, at 75 years old, Jacob is more concerned about pleasing his mother than pleasing God. And so we'll see how that works out as we go. Verse 15. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau. You want to underline that because garments are going to be important in this deception and there'll be a reason why and we'll talk about that in a minute. The best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house and she put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck And she gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son, Jacob. So this is no small deception. This is not something that you do in 20 minutes. This is going to be something that's taking hours to put together. Uh, They've got to get the goat, the skins and everything. It's got to be all cut just the right way. It's got to be put on. She gets Esau's clothing, puts it on him, prepares the food the way that Isaac would like it. And then verse 18, he then goes in to see his father. And it says, then he came to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Now, keep in mind, this is not the typical big party that you would throw if you were going to give the blessing. So he's doing this secretly. He's doing this deceptively. Isaac is being deceptive in giving the blessing to Esau, and he doesn't want anybody to know. He's deceiving, but he will be deceived when Jacob takes the blessing. So we'll talk about that. So Isaac says, who are you, my son? Apparently, he's a little suspicious, uh, and and that suspicion is going to continue. Verse 19, and Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, and I've underlined that. And I put in my margin number one, which is the first time that Jacob is going to blatantly lie to his father. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. So again, this is the first time that he lies. Verse 20. Now, uh, Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? Now, when, when I read this, I've always pictured that when Jacob responds to his father, he puts his hand in the air like this and starts waving. And he, and he says, he says, because the Lord, your God, praise the Lord, God caused it to happen to me. And, and so the, the point that I want to make there is that, and you write this down, he tries to cover his sin with God talk. And this is going to be the second time that he lies to his father. It's like, praise the Lord. It wasn't my hunting. It wasn't my skill. The Lord made it happen. Got it on the first shot. Glory to God. God was with me. Just so you know, um, I'm one of those people, I do not trust people who use a lot of God talk. When they come to me and they say, glory to God, brother Dan, bless the Lord. It's so good to see you. Just the glory and on and on and on and on. On the outside, I'm always polite, but on the inside, I'm always like, here we go. So, anybody else with me on that? (laughs) Verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you really are my son Esau or not. 
So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are, are you really my son Esau? And he said, yes, I am. So in my margin, I put a little number three there on the outside. Verse 25. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game and that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and he also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father, Isaac, said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said. So Isaac has been voicing his suspicion that this, something's not right with this. And ultimately, he's going to be deceived by what he smells and what he feels. But he finally comes to the place, that, all right, you must be my son Esau. So he gives the blessing. The blessing is the second part of verse 27. And he says, see, the smell of my son, I wonder my son, is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now, may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers now get this, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Well, how many sons does his mother have? Well, she had two. So what he's saying is in this blessing, even though he thinks Jacob will get the birthright, I want to give you the blessing and I want to see her sons, Jacob, bow down to what he thinks is Esau. He wants to override the blessing. Well, it goes on and it says, cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. So he blesses Jacob, but he thinks that it's Esau. Again, may your mother's sons bow down to you. Isaac was deceptive attempting to bless Esau in private or in, in secret, knowing that Jacob was supposed to get that. The result would be that Jacob now deceives his father. Jacob takes goat meat, but masquerades it as wild game, and he presents it to his father. He's going to deceive with goat. He will cover himself with skin, the skin of a goat, and then that will be part of the deception. He will then take the clothing of his brother and then that will be part of the deception. So the deception is going to involve the skin of a goat and his brother's clothing. Keep that in mind. And he'll even use God talk. When you go through this, you, you realize that God wanted Jacob to get the blessing. But this isn't how God does things. This isn't how God does things. So the outcome of this will be, first of all, Rebecca, at the end of this chapter, she'll never see Jacob again. That's, and that's just not God's punishment. It's just because of decisions that were made, and we'll see that when we get there. Jacob, on the other hand, is going to learn that what goes around comes around, which is a theme in the Bible. For instance, in the New Testament, Jesus would say, give and it will be given unto you. Give and it will be given to you. So on the positive side, on the negative side, 
those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble will harvest it. You know, what, what you're doing is probably going to come back to you, so you want to be very careful. So Jacob is deceiving his father. It's a very elaborate deception. So what's going to happen? Well, when this chapter ends, Jacob is going to go see his uncle Laban. And when he gets there, he's going to meet Rachel, and he's going to work seven years to marry Rachel. But what happens on the wedding night? Well, on the wedding night, they deceive Jacob by switching the brides. He wakes up the next morning and realizes that he has married the wrong girl. That's a great deception. In the Middle East, after the honeymoon, they have a no-return policy. So he's going to be stuck with this, even though he's been deceived into it. Now, Jacob deceives his father with the meat of a goat and the skin of a goat, uh, we would say, and the clothing of his brother Esau. So this can be the goat, meat, and skin, and, uh, and then the clothing of his brother Esau. Later on, Jacob is going to have some sons, and they are going to deceive him, not with the skin of a goat, but with the blood of the goat and with the coat of their brother. There on your outline, you'll see when we get there in chapter 37, they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat, underline that, and dipped the tunic in the blood And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father, that's Jacob, and said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it's your son's tunic or not. So what he's doing to his father is going to be done to him by his sons. It's just going to be worse in the next generation. Does that make sense? So verse 30. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that, he may ble- that you may bless me. And Isaac's father said to him, who are you? And he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau, Then Isaac trembled violently. He realizes, I've just given the blessing, but he realizes that I didn't give it to the one that I thought, and I can't take it back. So he trembled violently and said, who was was he then who hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, he shall be blessed. I put that there in your outline I blessed him, and indeed, he will be blessed. The, the blessing was prophetic. When, when you spoke it, it, it was like a contract. It was the idea that it would go up and begin to produce what it is that you said. So it, you couldn't just take it back in the, in the Hebrew mindset. When I was in seminary, my Old Testament professor, Dr. George Kufelt, amazing guy, but he gave this speech, and, and he would say, you know, in the, in the Hebrew mindset, when you spoke, words were like containers. They were creative containers that contained seeds. So when you spoke it out, they believed that it was going out and it was beginning to create what it is that you've said. And and so that's how the Hebrew mind thought, which is, by the way, very true. So in the Old Testament, you'll find these verses like this one in Isaiah, 
God says, I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, saith the Lord. And in that passage, he's not talking about God speaking. He's talking about man speaking. And the idea is God says, I'll create that. And whether it's far or near, it doesn't matter. Distance isn't the issue. Well, verse 34, it says, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, my father. And he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. I spoke it and he took it. And now he has that blessing. Verse 36, it says, then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, underline that, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. They're two very different things. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? So let me just show you how serious Isaac takes this. Verse 37, but Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him, I have made him your master and all of his relatives I have given to him as servants and with grain and new wine, I have sustained, however your Bible says it, him. Now as for you, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above, by your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So Isaac said, I, I've spoken it, and, and I put it into motion. Now, interesting also, the New Testament talks about this there on your outline. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And the idea is that what Jacob spoke, he spoke in faith, even though it was to the wrong person. And he believed now it's going to happen because I spoke that. And the Bible says he spoke it in faith. Apparently, he had learned from his father, Abraham, the importance of the words that we speak. So Jacob, in our story, would remain blessed. And Isaac understood that you can't take it back. So when you spoke it, it began to produce, and that's how they understood it. So they believed it so much that in verse 37, it says, and we underline this, he says, I have made him. I have given to him. I have sustained him. So how did he do that? He did that by speaking it. He spoke it. He believed it was going to go out and accomplish what it is that he said. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. So when you come to a verse like this on your outline from Proverbs, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It might be more than a nice thought. Now, when we talked about the blessing and we talked about you know, death and life are in the power of the tongue, 
we were always taught growing up that, you know, you don't want to say naughty words, um, but it, it's more than that. You're speaking, and those words are going out, and they, they're having an effect. Many of you here today, if you were to stand up and tell your story, you would say that it took you years to get over the words that were spoken to you as a child, and because they, they were negative words, and you began to believe that. And so for parents, let me just say, be careful how you speak over your children, because if you speak negativity and harshly, there may come a day when they give you exactly what you've been speaking, because words are powerful. Does that make sense? So we'll talk about that throughout the book of Genesis. Well, verse 41, so Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and I will kill my brother Jacob. Well, he's going to have to wait another 45 years for his dad to die. So, you know, that, keep that in mind. But what I, what I wanted to do here today is just make a couple of observations that we see uh, about a dysfunctional family. And as we make these observations, I think it's a good thing for you and I to evaluate and make sure that we're not perpetuating these things. Because many times what happens as we go through life and we know what we don't want, but we don't know what we do want, and we never really consider uh, what is it that we want to pass on to the next generation. So a couple of observations from a dysfunctional family. The first thing that we find is that mom and dad do not communicate. You want to write that down. In our story, Isaac doesn't say, hey, I'm thinking about giving the blessing to Esau. And Rebecca doesn't come to him and say, hey, I heard you're thinking of giving the blessing to, to Esau. It appears that they're living separate lives in the same house and they're not communicating. This does not create a healthy family. That's the first thing that we notice. Another thing that we notice in this dysfunctional family is that mom and dad play favorites. You want to write that down. They have their favorite child and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. So each child feels smothered by one parent and, and neglected by another, another parent. And so the idea is that does not create a healthy family. And be very careful that you don't have one child that's your favorite over the others. Another thing that we notice in this is that mom and dad do not confront their kid's sin. Write that down. When you, when you go through the story, what you find is that Esau sells his birthright. And it's not recorded that mom and dad come to him and say, what are you doing? Why would you do that? That's that so inappropriate that you would just think so lightly of that. Uh, he marries some non-believing women and it's not recorded that his parents say, what are you thinking? Why are you doing this? Do you know where this is going to lead? And then what we find is that at this chapter, he says, I'm going to kill my brother. And as you read the rest of the chapter, the parents never confront him and say, what are you thinking? You're going to kill your brother? They just don't confront his sin. And so it just continues on. Well, again, that does not create a healthy family. So because mom and dad never deal with the stuff going on in their family, what we're going to find is that the result is going to be, and I want you to write this down, that the sin will just be passed on. It'll just be passed on. So in the next generation, we're going to find that Jacob is going to have a favorite son, and his son's going to be named Joseph. He's going to be just like his mom. 
because he has a favorite son, when we get there, we'll see that all the brothers are jealous because he gets all the attention and they don't get any of the, of the attention. They feel unloved. And all of this happens, and you know the rest of the story, all because one generation never dealt with it. I want to encourage you. I know we're out of time, but very quickly, when you take these Bible studies, I would encourage you to go home and think them through and see, are we doing this in our family? Is any of this happening? Because what we don't deal with in this generation uh, typically is passed on to the next generation. And some of us are dealing with some stuff that's been passed on, but we don't want to pass it on to the next generation. So I want to encourage you to think about that. Did you find that interesting today? Good. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and close in prayer and each one evaluate what the Lord would be saying to you in that. Let's pray. Father, as we wrap this up today, we see so much. We see the power of words in this, in this uh, chapter, in this story, and how even though it was spoken to the wrong person, it was spoken in faith and it was understood. It's still going to continue on. It's going to happen. So Lord, help us to be mindful of the words that we speak. And then Lord, we, we see in this dysfunctional family how they lived and the result. And Lord, we pray that this week you would help us to evaluate and make sure that we're not repeating some of the same mistakes that, that maybe we've been handed in previous, by previous generations. And, and Lord, the, the, the first thing I, we need to do and just make sure that this is settled, uh, in this family, they were all believers and God loved each and every one and God had a plan and God was certainly working things out. But the main thing is that they were believers. And so Lord, we just come to you right now. If there's any who are here today and you've never come to the place where you've said, Jesus, I want to be part of your family. I want that relationship. Then I pray that right now, or you have the opportunity, just say, Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of everything that I've ever done. I want to be part of your family. So thank you for saving me. And he says, if you invite him in that way, he will never leave. And that's the first decision. And then, Father, we pray that you would take each of us and grow us into who it is that you'd have us to be. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.